All right, thank you. That was good. I appreciate that so very much. Take your Bibles. Turn back again to James and chapter 2 and verses 17 through 21. As we continue from this morning, and we want to just continue to delve in that. Now this morning, uh, we will look at uh, America Needs Men of a Working Faith. Okay, that was the start of it. But now tonight, I'm, change, I'm adding to that now our titles of Faith That Works. And so uh, I want you to see the progression of this. Okay, in James chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Now let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we delve into your word tonight that you would make it so plain to each and every person that's in our auditorium, those listening by internet on the live stream, those that are listening by WTYG. Lord, I just pray that through this your name would be glorified, but the believer will be drawn closer to thee, and perhaps an unsaved person will see the Lord wants to save their soul. So, Father, I pray that you would just use this message in a special way, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, this morning I covered verses 17 and 18. We pointed out there are two types of faith. Uh, there is a saying faith. And then there is a due faith. Uh, there is a faith that works. A faith that does not walk in the Spirit is not a living faith. It is a dead faith in the eyes of our Lord. Now, we looked at that this morning of both a stated faith and a working faith. And as I, I've told you perhaps many times in the past, we can make great doctrinal statements. But if it doesn't affect in the way that we live, then it is only a saying faith. It's not a do faith. And so the person that has a due faith will be separate from the world and will live a life that walks according to the word, walking in the spirit. A dead faith does not walk in the spirit. True faith is in accord with God's word. It will never contradict God's word, nor will it exalt the flesh over the spirit. If it does, it's not a true faith. So tonight, we've covered verses 17 and 18. We want to start now tonight with verse 19. The devils 
also are full of uh, faith about one God. Again, notice he says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. Now, the devils also believe and tremble. <laughs> the devils believe it more strongly than us. How's that? Well, Matthew 25 and verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them that are on the left hand, Depart from ye, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Isn't that interesting? There are those that believe that uh, some were predestinated to hell and some were predestinated to heaven. Oh, no. The ones that are predestinated to hell, now there are those predestinated to hell that are called the devils. They're the angels that fell with Satan. Hell was not created for man, but men go to hell when they reject Christ and they die without Christ. Now you'll hear a lot of sermons, uh, or you did years ago, on the unpardonable sin. But I tell you what, dying without Christ is unpardonable. Dying without Him is unpardonable. So that's one thing that we have to be uh, aware of. Now let's think about this thing. Uh, the devils believe. They even tremble. You say, was there an example of that? Oh, yes. There's this man that was filled with a, a multitude of devils. A legion. And, and he meets Jesus in Gadarene. He's a wild man. Men cannot tame him. He breaks the chains. And every way they try to subdue him, they can't. He dwells among the tombs. And when he sees Jesus, Jesus calls for those devils to come out of him. But what's interesting about that is that they asked him to send us into the herd of swine. They know they can't prevent him from doing whatever he's going to do. So they make a request. Send us into the herd of swine. And you know the story. The herd of swine, they run down that, that steep hill and into the lake, which is right there that we go to so often uh, in, when we're in there, uh, near Tiberias there in the Sea of Galilee, they call it. But they said, don't send us there before the time. Those, those devils believed in hell. They believed it strongly. So they don't want to go to hell. Not yet. They, they know they're going, but they want it to be as late as it can be that they have to go because they know it's eternity. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for men. That's why America needs a voice. Many voices calling souls to the Savior. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, we read that... Uh, all of our righteousnesses in the sight of God are as filthy rags. Now you think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in his lifetime, he was um, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he has taught dogs, so to speak. He, they all looked up to him. Man, he, he did all these things with the law. He just seemed to exceed everybody else of the law. Uh, but there's a problem. He's applying that to his righteousness. That was his righteousness. Oh, I'm such, such a righteousness, a righteous person. But when you get to Philippians 3, 9, after his salvation, he realizes, 
not having mine own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He, it was his blood that was applied to my account, not my own. His blood. It is his righteousness. Men that have self-righteousness are simply not righteous. See, righteousness is of the Lord. So when we look at this idea of righteousness, that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God, deplorable, the worst things. Why? Because our God is an all-holy God. I think that's one of the hardest things, even as a Christian, to wrap your arms around and to try to understand the absolute holiness of God. But the more you try to get your arms around that, the more you, the Lord opens your understanding to those things, the more you'll also understand how great the grace of God is. It's interesting in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, when you first read it, it tells you about the secret things to be made known. Those things that you thought you had covered, nobody knew about it, they're made known in heaven. Even among the saved, that unconfessed, that unforsaken sin, that, that sin that was not made right, it's made known in heaven. But what is interesting about it, after it says that, then shall every man have praise of God. Why? Every person in heaven will realize they were saved by the grace of God. And they'll realize the greatness and the power of that great grace of His. Now, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. It is a vain faith for a Christian. However, if we are not serving God, if we're not doing what His Word instructs us to do, then our faith is a vain faith. Even though we may be saved, it's consumed upon our vanity. Faith speaks of commitment. See, a person can be married and yet not very committed as a spouse in the marriage, making the guy a louse, okay? He does not, doesn't have that commitment. And, and you know, we, we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, where it says, This is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. The majority of sermons preached from Ephesians chapter 5 are going to be about the husband and wife relationship. Wives, obey your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, he goes on talking about that, and we talk about things and as it goes on up there through this first 30 verses. And then you get to verse 32. We're thinking of the marriage of the home, the husband and the wife. And he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, your marriage is to be a picture 
of the relationship a believer has with Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not a picture of, of, of marriage. Marriage is to be a picture of salvation. A man that doesn't love his wife is even willing to give his life for his wife is not willing to. A man that has an unforgiving spirit, a man that has uh, uh, just the harshness and that she can't come to, is a man that is not portraying Christ in the marriage, and he is failing Christ. Why? Because people need to be able to see what Christ is to us. That's what that man is to demonstrate, not only to his wife, not only to his children, but before the world in obedience to Christ. Perhaps it's an unsubmitted wife. Perhaps she's one that just must have her way in all the decisions of the home. If she doesn't get out of the way, watch out. A storm, a tornado is coming. Now, perhaps you've seen women like that. I've never seen a home like that that's happy. Rather, it stays troubled. And that's the truth of the matter. Because that lady is supposed to be demonstrating what a believer is to be in submission to Jesus Christ. She's told, even as unto the Lord, which even makes it better. Because that slob may not be worthy of, of your full submission. But you know what? You married the guy, so now you're doing it as unto the Lord. That means that your love can even be greater if you're doing it as unto the Lord, because you're loving as he loved us. A love that we did not deserve. So there is that submission unto him. What a great thing it is that your marriage and each marriage should show of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And again, the marriage is to demonstrate the relationship with Christ, not what salvation demonstrating what marriage is supposed to be. It's obvious. Marriage should demonstrate that. And when it doesn't, that marriage is failing God, no matter how long they stick together and until death do us part. If it doesn't demonstrate that, that's the failure of a marriage. Now, faith actually believes that because it's right. It's what the Word of God teaches. Now, look down at verses 21 and 22 in our text. He, he says there, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works? was faith made perfect. Now, that's a command that would be, seem like that is impossible for me to fulfill. Most would say, I, I could not do that. Yet, Abraham had faith. Now, isn't it interesting, marriage is demonstrating what true faith is, and now we're talking about Abraham's life demonstrating what true faith actually is. So we need to see that. And you read in Hebrews chapter 11, 
In verse 12, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him, that is, she judged God faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead because Abraham was told later to offer him upon an altar. And so many as the stars of the sky in multitude as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Now, here, here this comes up, and, and they are now to offer this son. Abraham, offer this son. Seems like an impossible thing to do. How can I offer my son? How can I do this? And yet when they get to that altar, set up that altar, he ties them up. And listen, he's, he doesn't have a little boy. He, he's got a young man of a son. And he's placed on that altar. And he rolls that knife up and he's getting ready to come down. And then all of a sudden said, God says, Abraham, Abraham. Now, what I actually believe, Abraham was going to go through with that by faith. He believed that the Lord was going to raise him up again. And so his faith said, do it. And so instead of saying, Abraham, Abraham, I believe he said, Abraham, Abraham, <laughs> you know, stop, <laughs> you know. And, and I believe that uh, then he showed him the ram caught in the thicket. A picture of Jesus Christ nailed to a cross. Abraham had to go and get that ram out of the thicket and slay him. But oh, Abraham, then he saw what God's plan is. And so Jesus said, and Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. He saw it long before Jesus ever came to this earth. And he saw it, and he was glad. Abraham saw what God was going to do for their salvation. If you asked Abraham before it happened, would you offer your son if God asked him? He might answer, well, you know what? If God said to do it, I'll do it, but I really would need convincing. Now, there are times you felt like killing that son, okay? But he said, I would really need convincing. It would be that way, and I, I would understand that, and probably most of us would say, yeah, if God told me to do I'd do it. And the thing is, if it was put before us, we wouldn't. Abraham had that faith that says, okay, God said to do it. I'm going to do it. Now look, you may think, I would do it if God said to do it. But I can tell you this, if you don't seek the Lord in your life to know his word, and pray, know his will, and actually do it continually, you wouldn't do it. You would not do it. 
At the judgment seat of Christ, I believe that we're going to find out many of us missed what God's will for us actually was. As we said uh, this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, as you looked at Jesus, for us, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, despising it. Oh, that was a terrible thing. Terrible thing. He despised it. But more important was the joy of having you cleansed by the blood made holy, by the washing and the power of the Spirit of God, and accepted in Christ, accepted in the Beloved. He saw that eternal joy, and he stayed on the cross. And yet, think about it. If, if you're a parent there, you're, you're saying, Jesus, if he's your son, you say, Jesus, Jesus, just be strong because it's going to be better when you get to heaven. Oh, Jesus, it's going to be so much better when you get there. Jesus, when you're raised from the dead, and so it's going to be so better. And many times when we've had the loved one dying, we tell them about the beauties of heaven that he's going to be seeing. What did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? You see, in the garden, angels ministered to him. In the wilderness, angels ministered unto him. But there is no help from his father at this point. No, Jesus didn't cease being God in the flesh. But his deity is now under his humanity and cannot be manifested. And then the Son of God there and the Father having sent angels to minister to him. At this point, sends no angel. He must be held by the knowledge of the joy set before him. How do you handle it in America? If there are people threatening the churches, you know, I pray for the Lord to protect this church from terrorist attack. We used to think Muslims. But now you have Antipa. You've got many liberals that want the church closed, that want things done away with that has to do with God, whatever. And you see, perhaps a brick coming through a window. Shots fired. You make it out. Most are going to be inclined to say, I'll watch church from my couch on a live stream if there's going to be any. I am not going back to church. How do you think those people felt in East Germany? In Russia, that saw some of their loved ones killed by the KGB and whatever other forces were there because they were baptizing or they were worshiping God. 
I'm, I'm thankful that in this county, nobody stopped us from meeting. But you know what? If we, they said stop and we met, would I be a, wearing a bracelet next Sunday, a little bracelet on my ankle because I defied that? To obey God. To obey God is better than sacrifice. Whether I should obey men above God, choose ye. Peter and Andrew, uh, Peter and John chose to obey God. And it cost a beating, <laughs> but it brought multitudes of souls to the Savior. And so, when we think about this thing, faith. We say the word faith. Faith is founded upon the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith must be heard. It must be read. It must be thought on faith, but only from the word of God as we get that faith. Then we may believe as much as the devils believe and tremble, but not do. We can have a saying faith, but not a do faith. A do faith will witness when they say you can't witness. A do faith will be separated from the world when they say you're crazy. A do faith will go to a church when the world says you can't go. A do faith will talk to lost about their souls when you're told you can't do that. We go to Israel. We're allowed to go over there and I teach Bible at each spot and we have learned so much about it, the great things. But if I go over there just to be an evangelist and to uh, try to win souls and uh, go door to door, I get thrown into jail. Israel? Oh yeah. Of course, I could probably handle that than better going to Muslims and getting my head cut off. Although I'd look 100% better. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that we have a due faith. Because one day we're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll find out how real our faith actually was. So we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. A faith has to actually believe that we do go to heaven. We do give an account. A faith has to believe that when he says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. A true faith has to believe that. I was talking to my wife not too long ago here. and You know, I said... The thing about death now doesn't really bother me as much. You know, you just say, if it's going to be painful, I'm not real excited about that and saying, yippee. And so Jesus despised the cross, I would despise the pain. Yet there's that other part of me that if I'm going out of this world, I don't want my pain to be deadened that also deadens my mind and doesn't allow me to talk with my wife and children. But, looking ahead, 
I've got four children I'm going to see. I told my daughter the other day, you may not be my favorite daughter anymore after I get up there, okay? But, you know, when we get there, and then we see our loved ones, we see Peter and Paul and all these guys, Abraham and Sarah. And yet all of that, even meeting my own children for the first time, will never compare to meeting my Jesus. You know, I have an actual sister. I do. Long before I was born, she was the first one. She was a stillbirth. Mom and Dad's first child was a girl, dead at birth. God, in His great grace, saw five boys coming afterwards and did it for her good. But, I'll get to meet my sister. Think of that. My wife's daddy died when she was one year, one month, and one day old. There's something in Revelation chapter 9 about a year, a month, and a day. Uh, but died when she's that. She doesn't remember her dad. Her dad saw her. Her dad held her. But she didn't know her dad. When she goes, she's going to see her daddy. Now you think about that. Is that great? Now, I emphasized our children and her daddy and my sister. Why did I emphasize that? Simply this. When I appear before the Lord, I'm either going to be ashamed or I'm going to have confidence. On the one hand, I don't want my children, my sister, her daddy, seeing a guy that just wasted it all and did not have faith and did not, by faith I mean, live in obedience to the word of God and seek God's specific will for his life and did it regardless of whatever uh, was said about him, against him, in opposition or whatever. If I don't do that, then I'm going to be ashamed in front of my kids, but more so I'm going to be ashamed in front of Jesus who died for me on that cross that he despised, but stayed there for the joy because he had the power to take it up again. He had the power to call 12 legions of angels, but he did it for me. Yes, the church needs men and women of a like faith of Abraham, a working faith, And we still have to ask ourselves, is that my faith? Now, the first faith, of course, as we said this morning, make sure you're saved. You know what, when you get to heaven, and you begin to say, well, Lord, do you know how those people at church treated me? So that was reason for you not to obey and do exactly what I told you to do? Well, I couldn't submit myself to that husband. I couldn't submit myself to that pastor. I could not submit myself to that employer. I could not do, you know what? That's not going to hold water. Well, Lord, you know what a great sinner, you know what a great failure, you know how no good they were. 
not going to do. And the people you've heard run those people down constantly are going to be the people that if they're saved, are going to be saved so as by fire. That person that sees a new visitor come in and they get on the internet and see, oh, I think they have a record from 15 years ago. We've got to keep our eyes on that guy. We've got to keep our eyes on that lady. That's the person that you don't want to build an association with except to try to draw them back. Say, you know what? You need to repent from that brother. You need to repent from that sister and get your life right with God. You're as bad as they are. They don't want to hear that. But that's the truth of the matter. You see, we've got to decide, is God right? You know, I can remember years ago, the first time I heard it preached was that homosexuals can't get saved. And then used Romans chapter 1, God gave them over. Well, they didn't fully understand that scripture because in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, it not only mentions homosexuals, it mentions a host of other sins. And he said, such were some of you. When they get saved and they turn to God, turning from their sin, it becomes were. Some of the people with the greatest spiritual problems sit in churches that can't forgive. Look, I have a deacon board. We have a school board. Have administrators in the school. You know what we have to do sometimes? Sit down with them and talk about problem people. Not to gossip. Although, I, a lot of times it sounds like gossip. But we're trying to figure out how to protect the ministry. How to help that person. What can we do? And we have to talk about those things. God put us in that position. I mean, there, there's a parable Jesus told where the man in the house says, you can no longer be my steward. He's an unjust steward, but you know what? He went out and made things ready, and he says he commended him for taking care of himself because he knew he was on his way out the door. He says sometimes the children of this world have a lot more wisdom than the people of God. Now, if we're going to have a faith, remember this. It's always going to be according to the word. It must always be a holy faith, a pure faith, and a faith that is totally committed. You see, faith has the commitment that a marriage should have. And faith works. In America, cannot have revival because they've not been vibed until the church has revival. Revival of preachers 
who have shunned to tell the truth because they're afraid of losing a crowd. You realize there are preachers that used to be fundamental, that were just like we are, preached like we do. Now we're out there preaching other things. The standards are gone. Their faith was not a Bible faith. Their faith was, oh, the fundamentalists are real big now. Let's go with that, you know. Man, that's it, boy. Let's get with that group. Man, that's, that goes. Man, you, you get invited out. You get to do this. You get to do that. But then when the contemporary came in, well, they're not doing that anymore. So let's go to another direction. No. Faith is, comes from the Word of God, taking it exactly as it is, and making a commitment of your life to do it, finding the specific will of God through your life, carrying it out. I was sharing with our leaders just the other day here in the, with the uh, administrators. There was a day the two scriptures stood out to me. The first one was the call to go to Pensacola Christian College to study for the ministry. Where it told me, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. <laughs> there were times I thought that's the way it was going to be, too. I mean, it was rough having to give blood plasma twice a week when the, church, the country's in recession and get bottles off the side of the road. And then the first church to call me to be their pastor as in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and he said, there's a door that is open, a wide and open and effectual, an effectual door. Boy, that sounds good. What didn't sound good was the rest of it. But, you know how they say, when they say but, watch out. Well, the Lord said, but there are many adversaries. And he wasn't giving me that verse for that church. He's giving me that verse for the rest of my pastor ministry until he takes me home. If you stand on the truth, you're committed to the truth, you tell the truth, you live by the truth, there will be many adversaries. But faith says, Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Yes, God gave me a series on faith that I've just got started this morning, this evening. But I hope that you will examine your heart because this is not my thing of you and me. It's each of us, our own personal relationship with the Lord. What is your faith? Let's bow our heads, please.